Welcome to the Smeichel Speaks podcast channel. I'm Joanne Smeichel, and I'm delighted that you tuned in for relevant leadership learning that will help you continue to soar. Enjoy this episode. This morning, I am extending an extra special welcome to Dr. Nathan Long. He is the president of Saybrook University. If you don't know about Saybrook, it's a very progressive postgraduate university focused on a humanistic approach to learning aimed at creating world-changing leaders. That's my nutshell on Saybrook. Dr. Long, good morning. Will you tell us a little bit more about what it means to be humanistic? Well, first of all, good morning, Dr. Joanne Smeichel. It's so good to be here with you this uh, fine day. Uh, yes, I would absolutely enjoy talking about Saybrook and what it stands for and what we do in the world. Um, and full disclosure, Dr. Smeichel, you and I go not way, way back, but way well, back, way a back. little bit. Yeah, that's right. Uh, was a phenomenal faculty member at Saybrook, now a trustee on our board of trustees. So this is just really fabulous to, to have this conversation. So Saybrook University was founded in 1971, about 52 years ago, actually, this summer. Um, and it was born out of the 1964 Old Saybrook Conference of Psychologists. And bunch of humanistic psychologists, and I'll get to that in just a minute about what that means, came together in Old Saybrook, Connecticut, to say, how can we reimagine psychology as a discipline? What, what do we need to be thinking about? And one of the major pressure points was how mechanistic and what they would deem overly scientific psychology had become, and they had lost sight of the human being as central to the work that's being done you know, in the therapy room and out in the community. So fast forward 52 years and you, you're still scratching your head and you go, well, that's all nice, well and good. What is humanistic? Well, that humanistic conference laid the groundwork for what we would call the humanistic ethos, humanistic principles that really go across many disciplines. So it's not just psychology. It can be in business. It can be in healthcare. It can be in education. It can be in a wide range of, of disciplines and practices that are out there. And what it ultimately means is to me, and this humanistic psychologist out in the world would probably find me and give me a, a, a talking to, uh, you know, if I, with this oversimplified language, but I think it makes a lot of sense. Being a humanistic leader, practitioner, no matter what your discipline is, simply this one you're working in journey or in concert with, in collaboration with individuals, communities, and organizations. You are there to support them in achieving their greatest actual potential. That's it. Okay. And that does not mean, and this is the kind of opposite to this, is that uh, I'm Nathan, you're Joanne. I come into your business and I say, Joanne, I'm here to help. And here are the things you're going to do to make it right. What a humanistic leader or a consultant or a psychologist does is, how can I help? Let's talk through your issues or your challenges or your opportunities, and let's craft a plan together. Let's ideate together and execute on that to help you be the best you can possibly be. So that really is the underlying philosophy at Saybrook when it comes to how we teach, how we learn, and how we practice out in the world. So I'm curious, how does 
having a humanistic philosophy connect with your mission to provide academic rigor? What's the connection? Well, there's a huge connection there, right? So the way I frame it for our faculty and for our students is we don't expect students to come in knowing everything or to be the best writers or the best at anything necessarily. We are here to help be in journey with you to get you to your desired goal and outcome. And that requires a lot of academic rigor, requires um, detailed work in a variety of different subject areas and in your discipline. And it requires that you pull your weight as a student, as a humanistic uh, leader to be uh, in doing the best that you can do to become what it is you're seeking to become. And so I think that academic rigor piece is not just adjunct to it, it's central and a central ingredient. Um, and I, you know, I know there are different versions of what academic rigor is. I think from my standpoint, um, holding people to standards is critical, but holding each other to the same standards is vital, right? So we want our students to hold our faculty to the high standard of providing excellence in instruction and our faculty to hold our students to the high standard of providing excellence in the classroom, in the learning process. And I think that that is one of the distinguishing features of Saybrook. One of my hot buttons now is the diploma mills where mm -hmm. you can just walk through and you know do mediocre work and receive mediocre instruction and yet you still come out with a phd an edd uh, an mba all those things and i like the fact that academic rigor is part of the ethos of saybrook so that is important really absolutely really important. um and i think that when students leave they get they know that they have gotten a good a good education, which is important. I would agree. And I, I think that should be the hallmark of most graduate schools uh, across the country, right? I mean, it it's going to be a little tough, and it should be, right? No, nothing should come super easy. And if it does, you should be asking the question, what did I really get for my money? Exactly. Right? Because it's yeah. a commodity. Um, and education is a commodity, and you need to get value for your money. Mm -hmm. And I think that there also needs to be a value added piece too. That's um, right. Particularly because there's so much competition in postgraduate education now. And so, yeah. So I want to talk about the majors. I know that Saybrook became, began as a psychology um, school, but what do you offer now? What are the programs? And just tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, sure. So, so we started off with two programs and the first two were psychology and it was research psychology. So it wasn't clinical practice, but um, digging in, doing the philosophical and uh, uh, research into various uh, domains. And then we had human science, which is no longer at Saybrook. Um, but now we've grown to uh, numerous programs. We have general psychology or research psychology, humanistic clinical psychology, counseling, both master's and PhD. Uh, we have integrative mental health uh, specializations in those uh, domains. Uh, we also have integrative medicine and health sciences degrees in nutrition, mind-body medicine, um, and wellness coaching is a specialization, which is very popular, actually, I might add. Um, we also have a 
degree called psychophysiology or applied psychophysiology. And really that is uh, just in a nutshell about biofeedback and, and understanding how your body is reacting to a variety of different um, stressors, environmental factors. But at the end of the day, how do you apply that then to becoming a healthier, more well-rounded individual? And then we also have a degree called transformative social change, uh, both a master's and a PhD in that. Very popular as well. That's been a, a growing program and, and particularly for nonprofit leaders uh, and community activists who are working to advance positive social change in their communities. Those are the core programs. We have dabbled in business um, and we do have a systems, uh, an organizational systems uh, PhD right now. Uh, and those are those are still active at the moment. Um, but our core right now is in the um, mental and integrative health space at the moment. And we're looking to expand in a variety of different areas over the coming years as we uh, as the market shakes out. Maybe we can get into that because the higher ed market is in a major state of flux. And so uh, Saybrook's focus is, has been in that. I, I would be remiss to, to if I didn't say that Saybrook is fully virtual mostly virtual, right? With some hybrid experiences, meaning you might meet with your cohort or your, your program students once, twice a year. But many of our programs now are fully online, which is both a new development and also an historic staple of what Saybrook has often been as a distance education institution with, as you note, high academic rigor and values around that. Uh, and we're solely graduate education, professional education only. So we do not offer uh, baccalaureate degrees at this time and probably won't uh, for the foreseeable future, especially given the declines in that space. Mm -hmm. I, well, you know, that's one of the things that I think is the highlight is coming together. I think this yep. virtual stuff is fine, but there is nothing like coming together at the residential conference, the RC, and any other opportunity for Saybrook students and the work that you're doing now to connect alums to Saybrook. Those sure. gatherings are priceless. That human connection is priceless, even in a school that's virtual, creating those opportunities for people to connect is worth its weight in gold. You know, this is not this isn't this wasn't what I planned on our discussion, but I want to go back to the transformative social change program. Sure. Because part of the work that you, that you're doing that Saybrook that we're doing is creating world changers. So, can you just talk a little bit more about that program? Yeah, no, I'd be happy to. So, so the transformative social change program, I would call it more of an evolution from the human science PhD that we used to have but it is more applied in its focus. So if you look at the degree itself, it pulls from different disciplines. And part of my heartstrings were pulled when it was first proposed when I got there because I come from an interdisciplinary doctoral uh, program. It pulls from philosophy, political, uh, excuse me, philosophy, political science, economics, um, business, you name it, it's in there, plus peace education and research. Uh, so a whole host of uh, disciplines inclusive of psychology uh, and social psychology. And what they, what they aim to do with that is by pulling from those disciplines, they look at how do we construct and build communities that work and live together uh, in, a, in a stronger, more balanced state? How do we create environments 
that help everyone actualize their best potential. And that's from the bottom up, if you will. I mean, I know some folks aren't wild about that, but in reality, right? So from the lowest socioeconomic status to the highest, how do we work together uh, to create a better world? Um, and interestingly, you might say, well, you know, you're going to attract one type of student to that degree program. Fascinatingly enough, we've attracted uh, a broad spectrum of individuals from across you know, different political beliefs, different religious uh, backgrounds, uh, different parts of the geographical spectrum. Um, and it is particularly of interest to nonprofit leaders who are advancing change and very, you know, as you know, Joanne, I think you've been part of many nonprofit boards in the past, right? And your good work in the community. Those aren't easy to run. And it's also not easy to run them, you know, with, you know, without some of the tools that I think TSC can provide or transformative social change can provide. So that mix and match of skills along with theory uh, to, you know, move into practice or what we would call praxis is really, really uh, has been beneficial. And our graduates are now seeing the fruits of that, you know, as they go out into the world. So um, it, it is a fascinating and uh, very useful degree. I think one of the exciting pieces about it is they're, they're always constantly, to my knowledge and understanding, they're applying this to the work that they're already doing. So we have a lot of community activists uh, nonprofit leaders are saying, you know, so we've got a problem here. This is what we're doing. So how are you going to apply what you're learning in the classroom to that particular situation or, um, you know, experience or to your organization? Now, that leads me to the next question. What are your graduates and faculty really doing to be world changers, to impact positive change in their communities and in the larger world. Can you give some examples? Yeah, I think so in the broad sense, and then I'll get into specifics, right? Um, in the broad sense, we have faculty, students, and staff really all over the country and around the globe who are doing some amazing work. We've done, uh, had student and faculty work done in Costa Rica, uh, downtown LA, Chicago, East Coast, the work in a variety of different settings, working with uh, homeless populations, uh, in indigenous populations. We have a student, for example, so I'll get into the specifics here, does work with indigenous uh, low-income populations to bring yoga and mindfulness work to that population. Um, and to create a sense of, of connection and healing uh, for those individuals. Um, we have business leaders who, at, who have come through Saybrook who are doing phenomenal work in the boardroom. Um, and I think in boardroom and in the C-suite, actually, uh, we have one individual, for example, who's a, a noted uh, executive who's now built out a major healthcare app uh, that is being um, monetized and also delivered for improving uh, integrative health outcomes, for example, for patients. Um, we also have, uh, I think our psychologists speak for themselves, but most of our psychologists come from a lineage of that humanistic, existential, what we call existential humanistic uh, psychology. Um, folks who range from uh, doing the daily work in the therapy room and getting the job done in a beautiful way, all the way to national leaders, for example, um, the past, I may overstate my case here, but I'm pretty sure the past six presidents of Division 32 and the American Psychological Association, 
the humanistic uh, focus area, uh, have been Saybrook faculty leaders, which is pretty astounding given how long that division has been at um, APA. And we've had a couple of our faculty run for and get very close to becoming president of the American Psychological Association. And we think within another couple of years, we may have an in on that front as well. Why that's important, as you know, and I think as your audience probably can uh, assume, is that you know, by having that national footprint, we, we, we can be drivers of the conversation around mental health, integrative health, health equity, uh, and equity in general and equality across uh, our country, uh, which is a conversation I know that's throughout <laughs> as we continue yeah. to have that conversation, right? Yeah. Uh, yeah. So, so I think having being able to be central to that conversation driving the agenda and having the dialogue is where it's at. And I think Saybrook is in a prime position to do that. We also, and I, I you know, I could go on and on, Joanne, about like all the things that were are being done, but uh, I'll give you a couple more examples uh, before I, I stop here. Um, our integrative medicine and health sciences dean and faculty are internationally known for their work. So uh, Dr. Donald Moss has actually authored uh, I believe three of the most used textbooks in integrative medicine and health sciences and has partnered with well-known researchers from Stanford to Harvard to, you know, you name it, they're out there. But why that's important is we've gone from the mind-body medicine is kind of this woo approach to medicine and being kind of out there <laughs> to... You know what I'm saying, right? Like, I do. I, do. I was just a little Ohio guy coming <laughs> coming out to California. I'm like, what is this? And I I absolutely fell in love <clears throat> fell in love with it. And what Don and his faculty and students and alumni have done, along with others across the field, have really started to say this is a critical component to one's individual healthcare and healing. Mm -hmm. It's so powerful. And so, so you look at mindfulness meditation as a, a one example or hypnosis, not as this kind of fringe weird thing, but you're seeing actual great outcomes evidence uh, in the, in the, you know, uh, patient's uh, healthcare journey uh, that have really started to bear out. And I think that's what we can start to point to is why we're leaders and why we're getting the work done out there in the world today. So you pulled my string. I had to keep going. <laughs> oh, that's cool. That's fine. So, you know, of course, a Saybrook education prepares people to tackle challenges in the world. But are there other things that you think prepare people to deal with this crazy world we live in and make positive, sustainable, lasting change? Can you give me a little bit more context on that question? Yeah, like skill sets, competencies. Um, I did a podcast today on being a value-added leader. And one of the things mm -hmm. that I talked about is you have to be willing to shake things up to challenge the status quo. So are there other uh, just personal competencies, personal skills that you see as necessary for world changers? Uh, I got you. That's a great question. Okay. So I think you and I would probably agree on most, if not all of these, but I could be wrong. So you push back on some of these if you, if you think I'm far out. Um, I think the first one is fearlessness connected to courageousness, right? I think the students 
graduates, our faculty who come to us are fearless and courageous in the sense of they want to make change. They're not afraid to make change. And those who are find themselves kind of gravitating out, actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and I think when we're talking about that world leader kind of, you know, what that looks like, that change leader, that um, change agent, as we call them at our in our system and at our university, that courageousness and fearlessness is a central ingredient. I think, you know, really connected to that is a real sense of intellectual curiosity about the world. We get into, and I, I've been guilty of this myself, where I get very fixed on a particular way of doing something or thinking about something. And then I have someone come in and kind of metaphorically slap me right across the face Mm -hmm. and say, wait, why aren't you looking at it from this angle or this angle? And I think our university does a really great job of encouraging that intellectual curiosity, but not just to navel gaze, right? That intellectual Mm -hmm. curiosity then I think leads to that fourth piece, which we have a lot of leaders out there, a lot of great leaders, and we have a lot of bad leaders. And I would say the bad and mediocre leaders do not act. So you got to be courageous, fearless, intellectually curious, and you need to act on the work that you set out to do. And the fifth thing that I think we try to cultivate, and we're getting better and better at that at Saybrook, and I think just societally speaking, we need to do a better job. We need to own our stuff. We need to, so when you make a mistake or when you're successful, own it. But stop blaming others for your failure. Stop blaming others for even you know, anything else that's going on, say this fell under my watch. The buck stops here, the Truman adage, right. With Mm -hmm. the little sign on his desk, we have a need, I think, to take a lot more greater accountability and responsibility for what's out there and what we can do with our lives. And I do think that's central to the humanistic ethos. With that being said, I think we also have to make sure that we're creating and cultivating a sense of empathy, care, love and concern for the other. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, you know, so coupled with all of those, I think you create that dynamic change leader that can really have uh, a a real impact on the world. But I think all of those are necessary ingredients to being an excellent change leader in the world. Yeah, it's not just the passion. And sometimes people, they're rallying and they're so passionate, but you can't get anything, they can't get anything done. It's like, put put your sign down and let's work on developing the skills that allow you to be heard and taken much more seriously. That's right, yeah. Now, I know something about you. Uh-oh. You did you did not come into this life or in this world as a college president. You are from Ohio, you play the trombone, and um, what else do I remember? Come from a, uh, a family of three, is that right? You're the only guy? Uh, no, no, family of uh, five. So okay. mom, dad, and, and then two other siblings. So you, oh, that, you pretty that's close. what I meant, the siblings, yeah. yeah. Um, so how do you go from being a trombone player, a music major, to Dr. Nathan Long leading a prestigious uh, university? Well, uh, boy, it was a circuitous journey. (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, it's a great question. And one that, that I've, I, I always have fun telling because, uh, I did not ever dream nor ever thought I'd want to be in a role like this. And in fact, when I had my first, um, I'll start with this, the, our the president in Ohio that had hired me at the college had retired and resigned. And, uh, we were doing a national search that failed, three different times for different reasons, not because of the college, but each candidate had something going on. And so the board uh, called me up because I was essentially the provost there at the time. And they said, we need you to be interim president. And I'm like, no, mm -mm, no, this is not, I have no desire to do that. I, I that work is awful. <laughs> so <laughs> no, thank you. Um, and Essentially, by being put in that role after faculty were saying, just sit in the seat and we think you'd be great at it. It turned out, I don't know that I was great at it, but I fell in love with the ability to work across multiple stakeholders. So that's the origin of how I got into this. Um, and then I'll back out into the, the music stuff. So um, when I was in high school, and I won't give you the long, dirty history, but but essentially music saved my life as a young person. Um, a lot of family issues, dynamics. Um, uh, I was bullied a lot in junior high and high school, mercilessly bullied. And one summer I had a, um, a band director come up to me and said, you know, basically, hey, I know you played trombone in middle school. Why don't you be in my band and I'll take care of you and get you to where you want to be. Um, we'll keep these bullies at bay. And essentially not only that, um, he, he, he knew the right words to say to a kid at 14. Um, and eventually over time I kept practicing, got better and better. And I found my, my people, if you will, mm -hmm. in orchestras and jazz bands and that kind of thing. Went to college, got my performance degree, uh, did a little study at uh, Juilliard, the Conservatory of Music in Cincinnati. Um, and what I found as I went into my master's program uh, at uh, Cincinnati was I started working with college students in housing and did a lot of work on keeping at-risk students in school. You know, basically working with residents to say, hey, how can I help you? How can I support mm -hmm. you? Very humanistic, right? Mm -hmm. um, and that harkened back to when I, uh, you would be surprised at this, Joanne. I, I actually was looking to graduate from high school and go straight to seminary, um, but decided, <laughs> right? I know. So what this in is the like world? <laughs> <laughs> okay, I did not know that part of your story. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. So, so we we could talk offline about that, but the long and short of it was, I wanted to serve, and I loved higher education. I loved the environment of the university, and like you were just saying about the residential experience, how that human connection. Uh, I just so many beautiful relationships and conversations, and just. Uh, beautiful experiences in general with students uh, really drove me into it. So got into my doctoral degree, graduated, went to work at Arizona State, had a really uh, decent run there, and then got hired to come back to Cincinnati as a, a dean of liberal arts and sciences to build up a program in a startup nonprofit college, um, which has now grown to well over 
1,200 students from just a small group of 60 uh, back in 2006. So um, we are, I would say, I am the combination of our uh, all these experiences, rather, um, of and, and music has been a vital part of my life. It instilled discipline. It instilled so much in terms of under trying to be more open-minded about the beauty around me and and being more attuned, uh, if you will, to the work at hand and being connected in different ways to different people. And the music, as you probably know, and I think our our colleagues who are musicians know. You can't work in a vacuum necessarily unless you're a soloist, of course. But if you're in an ensemble, you have to listen to each other and vibe off of each other and figure out how to make that piece of music sing or play in a way that resonates and the intonation and the phrasing and all that stuff. All of that applies to running a college. <laughs> I have been... <laughs> It all prepared you. Nothing was wasted. Nothing was wasted. And so so to this day, uh, that, that circuitous route uh, brought me uh, to Saybrook. And uh, I have no regrets about leaving music as a profession. Um, and I have a wife who is deeply embedded in music and acting. And um, so I get my fill there as well. That's really interesting. I did not know about the seminary part. We got to <laughs> talk about that. <laughs> I want to circle back to the fact that the goal at Saybrook is to create world-changing leaders. So is there any advice besides enrolling in Saybrook that you would give to people who really want to create change? Any advice? And, and that's what I really want to close with, the advice that you would give to future change makers, people standing on the fence about trying different things to create change. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think to your point, passion does need to be a, a core ingredient to that. So you need to be passionate, but you also need to be, or and you also need to be measured in how you do that through intellectual curiosity, courage, fearlessness, and focus. Um, you need to bring a level of clarity to the work that you're doing. That's what I mean by focus. If you're not clear on what it is you're trying to accomplish and you're not building connections and mutuality of support, nothing's going to get done. So if, if your job in making change is to alienate folks, <laughs> that ain't going to work. Right. right. And, and one people of, off won't work. Yeah. <laughs> it's just not going to work. <laughs> well, and sometimes you, you, we may have to say things that are upsetting or, or anger folks, but, there's a way to say, how can we work through this together? And and how do, and we also have to come at this from a point of trying to understand the other. And so what I would say for those who want to become world change leaders, that piece around empathy, listening, really listening, and then acting, right? So creating that template for change and trying to do so in harmony, as much harmony as possible in concert with the people around you so that you're bringing people along with you. What is the... The old adage, right? If you're the general with no troops behind you, you're just dead. Um, you know, uh, uh, you know, metaphorically speaking. So, I think those pieces are really vital uh, if you're looking to be a world change leader. And of course, 
you need to enroll at Saybrook University. Yes, you do. <laughs> yes, 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 you do. <laughs> so, Nathan, I'm so grateful that you joined me today on this Michael Speaks podcast channel. And I want you to come back because I want you to talk about community building. That is one of the things that Saybrook aims to do. And I want to explore that in some depth. So you're going to come back. Yes, of course. Absolutely. <laughs> it's been a joy. I love talking with you and I always feel um, like uh, we just vibe so well together. I appreciate all that you do uh, in, in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this podcast. I hope you got tools that you'll actually use and share. Subscribe if you haven't already. I add new and relevant leadership learning all of the time. If you haven't visited the Smichael Speaks YouTube channel, check it out. There's all sorts of new content. All of this is virtual leadership learning that will help you soar.